What's up, everyone? We're here for another episode of Locked On Bucks. We are approximately, let's say, 21 hours away uh, from tip-off in Bucks and Celtics Game 6. Milwaukee have a chance to close out the series, but we're still going to look back at Game 5 a little bit here before we move on. And we also know now that the winner of this series between Milwaukee and Boston knows who they're playing in the next round as well. And hey, we might even touch on the Philadelphia 76ers at the end of this podcast, because why not? They're out. They're done for another year. So let's get started. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. You can see and hear me on this show, uh, mostly Monday to Friday. We'll get back uh, into that in just a little bit here. And also uh, watch us on YouTube and on weekends for post-game shows. So we will have a post-game show for Game 6. Even though it's the weekend, don't think that we won't. We'll be around for a post-game recap podcast and YouTube show there. You can also find my work at ESPN. And joining me for the first time this week, it's been a while between drinks for Justin and myself, Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network and... Uh, Justin, I guess I should, uh, first of all, thank everyone for making Locked On Bucks their first listen or first watch of every day, but also apologize. I've been I've been AWOL for two days, which is unheard of in the middle of the week uh, during the playoffs. That, uh, that never happens. I was uh, traveling, doing some other unexpected travel uh, with ESPN doing NBL uh, coverage, which I should say, there's a nice Bucks connection there. Chase Buford and Jalen Adams both won uh, the championship with the Sydney Kings, so that was fun. Uh, there but shout out to frank shout out to camille shout out to mitchell for bailing me out on the post game pods the last couple of days they've done obviously a professional and superb job with the post game pods and there was no youtube show for the post game yesterday uh it was just difficult with the travel i was editing the audio at the airport gates about to close justin about to miss my flight got to get this audio podcast up everyone's the, one of the great bucks playoff wins and everyone's wondering where the podcast is so apologies for that but we're back today uh how did you enjoy this game five though because it was a roller coaster i wasn't even able to watch the second half live so i knew the score before i watched the game which actually might have been better uh, for, yeah. my, for my mental state um so uh, the way I watch playoff games is um, I at the radio station, the setup is it's not ideal where we have a television in the studio, but you're hearing a delay. So we get the broadcast feed, Dave's call I hear, and then I see the plays happen like two seconds later, which is And just to be annoying. clear, road games, you're in the studio, home games, yeah. obviously you're in arena. So it's it's pretty uh, it's not ideal for for important games to really like consume the game and see what's happening when you already hear what's happened and then you see it happen afterwards. So I go to my desk at the station and I watch the game on my iPad and I stream the radio broadcast through the SiriusXM app because it'll sync up where it's they're both delayed so they're pretty much in step with each other and I watch it there and um, for yesterday's game. 
um, there was a, a couple of other people in the building at that time. And once we got to the fourth quarter, I could hear people down the hall in our newsroom, like screaming and cheering whenever big <laughs> plays happen. So that would kind of be a tip off of something is coming here. And after a couple of minutes of that, it was like, I, this is like what I usually have watching it on TV in the studio. So I went into one of our recording studios where I actually do my on-air portion from for the radio network and it's soundproof. And I just had to watch it on my iPad in that studio with our monitors turned down so I can only faintly hear Dave Kane's call at the end. And, um, you know, it's, it's what, like a 30 second delay for streaming. So this has happened well after the fact, and it just a nail biter to see what's happening here. And you could faintly hear Dave start to get excited. So it's, I had it turned down enough where I'm like, I, I seems like he's excited here. So I think something good happened for the bucks and we'll wait and see what happens. And that was the Bobby Portis put back. Um, but man, it was, it was nerve wracking because uh, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording. If you lost that game, the series isn't over and look, the series isn't over for the bucks advancing yet either. I think that's the caution that we should put out there for everyone. Uh, but it's two very different spots to be coming from the Bucks and the Celtics. Like if you go down three, two, I know there's been reporting out there by individuals of Chris Middleton. I don't buy any of it. And you have to assume Chris Middleton is not playing in this series. So if you go down three, two, knowing half court offense has been an extreme struggle in this series and your second best half court player and second best initiator and score is, is not going to be available that feels like it is just a lot to overcome. So to get that game was huge because you only got to win one of two, but you're going to have to basically do what you did here in, in game five and, and what you did in game one, where game three, too, where you look at all these wins, you're just going to have to make plays down the stretch and basically play perfect to put yourself in that spot. Yeah, there's been two really close games in this series. Obviously, uh, game four was close-ish, but the way that the game sort of trended didn't necessarily feel that way in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the couple of close wins for the Bucks. we spoke about the fact that uh, they went on a championship run built on winning close games, and they've done it so far in this series. But I think ultimately, whether you have home court advantage to start the series or not, if you look at it and say you're going to win two games on the road, yeah, you, you, would, like you, 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 you If you win two games on the road, you feel like you're going to win the series. That's right. You want to win the series, and the Bucks now have an opportunity to close it out at home, which you can't ask uh, for much more than that. And we absolutely would have taken that at the start of the series. Uh, I mentioned that I didn't see the second half, so I'm in my hotel. Uh, I leave at halftime, and you know, I I wouldn't say I was feeling overly optimistic at halftime when I left the hotel, and I didn't even bother putting the radio on or anything. I just said I'm going to go do. Uh, it was post-grand final media stuff. And I said, I'm not going not gonna to watch the second half here. Uh, so I was meeting Chase Buford and a few of the players that were down there. And me and Chase were there early. It's pouring rain. We're huddled under this tree, uh, getting soaked, getting drenched. And uh, he's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to see the Bucks game. How's it looking? And I said, not great, mate. It's not looking great. And then we were just sort of following the box score together. And they went down double digits. And at that point, we both just put our phones away went, did some work, and then I was still doing an interview with one of the players, Chase had left, and my phone started vibrating. I pull out my phone, and he sent me a screenshot of the final box score, and the Bucks had won the game, and I thought to myself, how the hell did this possibly happen? 
And then just under it, he sent a text and said, Bobby bifocals with the big offensive rebound. And I said, okay, I got to get back in there and watch this. So I finished my work, went to an Irish pub in Sydney, hooked into the Wi-Fi, watched the second half. And it was much more relaxing for me. I knew exactly what was about to happen, but it wasn't any less ridiculous. And I know it's been spoken about a lot. Uh, Eric wrote a great story. And, and after the game, I went back and watched the press conferences. And I, let's say I had a fair idea of what Eric was planning on writing about, judging on his questions to Drew. But Drew, uh, speaking about the way that uh, some some of it was instinctive. And for these guys that have played for so long, and I've asked Giannis the question before when he blocks shots, and he says, I honestly can't explain it to you. I just see someone and block the ball, and it's incredible. But Drew Holiday, I think it was much the same. His instincts to sort of cup the ball rather than swat the ball, bring it into himself, toe the line, throw it off Marcus Smart. And the way he sort of stepped through that, um, it is just remarkable to me still that you have these guys that are so elite at whatever skill set it is that it's not even something that he's consciously thinking about at the time. It's just all instincts, which is just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, the final 11 seconds were, you know, just go back and look at that in itself because the the strip on Devin Booker and the the Valley Oop that we had in game five of the finals last year, as great as it was, there were so many moving parts in these final 11 seconds. And a lot of it was Drew Holiday, but it wasn't all Drew Holiday. No. Um, the the play that he made is not possible if Pat Connaughton doesn't top lock to start that sequence and kill off any chance for the Celtics to swing the ball around the perimeter and get it to Jalen Brown, who was in the corner. So that kind of forced Marcus Smart towards the baseline and going to the basket and then Drew Holiday to stick with the play and just go get the ball uh, like he did. And again, to be trapped in the corner, the block itself to manipulate with his hand and block it with his forearm and, and do everything he could to make sure it goes stays in bounds. Because if he blocks the ball and it goes out of bounds, Celtics still have six seconds left and they're inbounding underneath their basket. So you don't feel great there. Um and and then the free throws from Pat Connaughton, Drew Holiday's defensive strip to close the game. But I mean, also sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You got pretty lucky when Bobby Portis inadvertently picked Wesley Matthews to leave Jason Tatum wide open. Granted, a tough pass, but when you saw Jason Tatum streaking down the sidelines, you thought, oh, and didn't even get a chance to get him the ball because of what Drew Holiday did. So there were so many incredible individual defensive plays a little bit of luck sprinkled in there too but that's what you need in moments like that you absolutely do i think it's interesting i would have to look again i mean i, I didn't analyze it to the absolute uh, every possible degree but the tatum stuff is a little easy to say well i could have got the ball to tatum i think if he had to try to make a cross-court pass i think Giannis was lurking in the it's area difficult. yeah and it would have been pass. a really i think it would just would have been a more difficult pass than what people are making out yeah uh with marcus smart and and, you know, I mean, Drew, again, the timing, he described it. He thought that Smart was a little bit off balance or he lost the handle just a little bit, and that's all he needed. And look, great meme, great meme value from uh, Marcus Smart for what followed uh, that. And he was clearly trying to get a call, and then he realized and uh, just put his hands in his head and walked off the court. Uh, but I thought Marcus Smart, to his credit, after the game, someone asked, well, how do you bounce back from this? And he was like, well, yeah, quite honestly, uh, they did to us what we did to them in their building last game. And it was exactly like that. We sat through game four where the Bucs could have had an opportunity to take a 3-1 lead. They couldn't do it. Uh, the Bucs did this. Perhaps more impressive in game five, given the circumstances. 
uh, no doubt about it. But we're going to talk more about the offense because there's still big question marks. It does feel like the Bucks have won three games in this series, and every single time you kind of like, geez, it was kind of miraculous that they were able to win this game. So we're going to talk about the offense more after I talk about Bill Barr. And I heard Camille say last week that she thought that I would have been on a plane eating Bill Bars. Well, she's not wrong because it is the best snack whether you're in the air, on the ground, on the water, wherever you are. Bill Bar is a snack that can get you through. And uh, what about this? The birthday cake puffs that they've got. Imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. Not something I would do, but I'm sure someone would be up to that. And then opening your eyes and realizing that it was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein, that is what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received my birthday cake puffs. Uh, they are in the cupboard. I haven't got into them yet. And I have never had anything like this before. Well, I actually can't guarantee that because I haven't tried them. But they're available right now. And we can't promise that they'll be there tomorrow. So get them today at Built.com because they have these special flavors roll through at Built.com all the time. Uh, but they don't last because people don't mess around. Uh, they get stuck straight into them. And all the built puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate as well, just like the bars. So, uh, you know, anything that you're familiar with with built bars, you will have with the puffs as well. So go to built.com to get the birthday cake puffs right now. Use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. The NBA draft is not far away, Justin, and the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast is in full swing. Uh, the Bucks have got a pick. How about that? We'll see whether they use it, but it's exciting. It'll be exciting on draft night if the Bucks have a have a first-round draft pick. We'll see what they do with it. Who knows? But listen to the Locked On NBA Big Board uh, podcast if you're interested in uh, that type of thing, and they'll have you covered with everything you need to know. So let's talk about the offense. So, you know, overall... Um, no doubt Drew had some big moments. And to me, you know, he finished nine for 24. Uh, had his 20-plus points. So what did he have? 24 points total, I think it was? Yeah. So he had 25 in the first win, 25 in the second win, 24 in the third win. So he's keeping up with my uh, belief that he needed to average 24 po- uh, 25 points per game for the Bucks to win this series. If you can get your 25-plus in game six, I think we'll all be very happy with that and the Bucks will have a chance. But again, everyone's talking about the defense. And I do find it a little bit funny that when Drew has these miraculous moments, these late game, miraculous defensive individual plays, that the all the narrative is, Drew Holiday's so underrated. What an incredible defender. And it's like, well, he's not actually underrated by anyone. He just hasn't won the Defensive Player of the Year award, which we all know is garbage. And yes, he's. I think over time, he's proven that he's a better defender than Marcus Smart. That was, a, look, we discussed it. But he does his best work in the postseason. He wins playoff games. The NBA released like a two-minute highlight package of this guy winning NBA playoff games with defensive plays. So we know what he can do. But on the offensive end, we still saw yesterday some reasons why the Bucs need the best Drew Holiday in this game six if they're going to close this series because he is inconsistent. And, And as we pointed to on the last podcast that I was on, you're just asking him to do so much on the defensive end that it may be an unrealistic task for him to also carry the offense through stretches as well. There were some poor turnovers in the first half, which didn't help. But for all the talk of the defensive players, for all the talk of the shots, the one shot that he hit yesterday that I was like, this is exactly why the Bucs are struggling without Chris Milton. This is exactly what they need in their offense 
was when he had Marcus Smart in front of him, dribble, crossover, crossover, knock down the jump shot. And they just don't have one player in this roster that they can reliably expect to knock down that shot. But he can do it on certain nights. I would love it if game six became one of those nights where those jump shots were falling. He, um, I mean, he can do it certain nights, but I think what we've seen is more often than not, he does do it in the fourth quarter. And yes, yes. Eight points in the fourth quarter in game five. I think he was three of eight. But um, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of game seven against the Nets last mm-hmm. year, where I, I think he was two of 16 going into the fourth. And just he went, went off, off the backboard. He was yeah. just looking all yeah, at off the side of the backboard where you thought, yeah. oof, what, what's going on here? And that was all the talk going into it, too, is, man, you need a big Drew Holiday offensive game in those first three quarters. I'm not going to say all hope was lost, but you were thinking this is the opposite of what we said. And he hit some of the biggest shots down the stretch to force overtime in his defense. So that, for the most part, has kind of been the constant with Drew Holiday, where he'll do it when it matters. It, it's just a matter of when when you're as banged up and when you're missing a piece as big as Chris Middleton, you can't guarantee that showing up in the fourth quarter, like that you're going to be in a position to take the game. Like you need some more consistent offense. And that's kind of the issue the Bucks have run into. I did think, boy, it, it took what, four and a half games for us to see it. But in uh, in game five, you start to see more and more of they would run on makes. And it, it just seems like, that's the most obvious thing to point to, to try and juice the offense when both of these uh, offenses have struggled in the half court. I mean, I've seen a lot of people point out, well, the Celtics transition is the story of the game. And that's true because I think game five was the only game this series where the team that scored the most transition points actually lost the game. So that's been huge, but it's not as though the Celtics half court offense has been great either. It's been pretty bad for both of these teams. And part of that is these are two really good defenses a lot of it with the Bucks is you have a shot maker and creator like Chris Middleton uh, that's out. So I think that was important that we started to see them running on makes and trying to create transition opportunities there. But, you know, I, I think the other big thing is we know the Bucks for them to take one of two games here. It's going to have to be done defensively. You're probably going to need another. You're definitely going to need a, another big Giannis game and, and you need somebody else. It doesn't have to be 20 points or 15 points to just occasionally hit shots. It doesn't even have to be one guy. That's what we saw in the fourth quarter. It was remarkable that you know this team that was 32% shooting last year in the playoffs, they were 28%, I think, in this series coming into game five. And you just kind of resigned yourself to the fact of, well, whatever the Bucs do, personnel-wise, they're, they're always going to be a 30% playoff three-point shooting team, even though you kept thinking, Man, it seems like they're due for one of these big games. <laughs> And they got six for six in the third quarter to outscore the Celtics by 18 points in that third quarter on threes was certainly huge. But I think the big things we saw as that game moved on that are certainly what the Bucs are going to have to continue to do more of and build on is, like we said, running off of makes and trying to create transition opportunities there. But also the closing lineup that the Bucs played, I think we had all or most of us kind of started to gravitate to these are really the five guys that I trust the most on, on the floor right now. And, you know, Pat Connaughton has certainly been there throughout the series. Wesley Matthews has been terrific. We know how good Giannis and Drew are. But Bobby Portis, man, to to not play at all, 
in the fourth quarter of, of game four, only playing, I think, three minutes in the third quarter. And to see him out there on the floor as soon as that game ended for about 25 minutes, shooting, working with the assistant coaches. We saw him do the same thing last year where he's cut from the rotation, came back in and produced. There's not a whole lot of guys that would do that. And, and for him to do that and have some of the biggest moments in this game, certainly huge. And that's kind of where the Bucks are at is those are the five guys you trust the most. Celtics are kind of moving towards that spot too, where Grant Williams has started to really regress as this series has moved on. Al Horford had that huge game, wasn't the same guy in game five. And, and you know, Daniel Tyson, Peyton Pritchard had some good moments, but those are still guys you don't trust. So I think we got to the point where both of these teams are like five to six guys is, is really who we trust in this series. And I'm not a big uh, person to tout the plus minus numbers, but you know, if you look at the plus minus numbers for this series, I, I think they pretty much tell the story here. Where for the Bucks, Giannis and Javon Carter are the two guys leading the team in the positives, and the two lowest figures are George Hill and Brooke Lopez. Which you know, Javon Carter jokes aside, it seems to pass the eyeball test with what we've seen for five games now. What game was it? Uh, I, I guess Javon obviously played. A fair bit in game one uh, yeah. when George wasn't playing, which probably helps out a little bit because I don't think he's played too much. He probably played some game two. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting as much as we've said, you know, through the early part of the season that George Hill was always plus 20 in every game, even if the Bucks, you know, had an, had an even you know, scoreboard across the board. I don't think he's been bad, honestly. I, I, I know that people, fi- I know people fixate, uh, it happens all the time. People fixate yeah. on these, these role players that are down at the bottom. Of, of the rotation, and they always wanted to play. I, I think he's been okay. Uh, unfortunately, he was put in some difficult situations, certainly towards the end of game four, which it's like I wouldn't have wanted Javon Carter in that situation either. Right. I just thought that it was interesting lineup combinations, and I think Frank mentioned it uh, on the post-game show yesterday, but there was definitely moments, particularly early in the fourth quarter, where I was thinking... And obviously, I knew the result at this point, so it was kind of just interesting to observe. But I was looking, and I'm like, really? We've got Bobby, we've got George, and uh, Grace and Allen all on the right. floor together. And I was like, I don't know. And and it's difficult because they're obviously missing a key piece, which if they've got Chris, then it just allows those rotations to be. They're always they're just yeah. more solid when you look when yeah. you're missing a star player. It makes it really difficult. And this series has been so physical. I think we saw the toll in Game Four on some of the key guys, none more so than Giannis. So, yeah, maybe at some point we have to acknowledge that Bud has to find a way to keep uh, keep the guys having some legs because the fourth quarter hasn't been uh, great to them uh, throughout this season. But I'm sure if you're into uh, sports betting, this series maybe hasn't been great for you either because uh, it has been a roller coaster ride. The Bucks now favorites at betonline.net, though, if you are interested then you should go to betonline.net for all your odds. I think the Bucks are once again favorites to exit the East, although uh, this was before Miami advanced to the conference final. So jump on betonline.net to get the latest uh, odds there. You can also get sports info for other sports, uh, baseball, hockey playoffs right now, and uh, NFL futures, I suppose. You can uh, get stuck into there as well at betonline.net, which is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports info head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at bet online where the game starts interesting you mentioned brooke lopez because yeah game by game if you were just looking at the plus minus it has 
tended to not be all that favorable to him. It was pretty well even in this game five. I think he was a minus two or something like that. And, you know, it's a really close game, so there's nothing to read too much into that. I think Bobby Portis was just in the in the positive of plus one, plus two, plus three, something like that. So it wasn't necessarily that the Bucks were yeah. getting destroyed or dominating with other lineups. One thing that's just, and this is, there's no science behind this, Justin. This is just purely my observation, but I'm curious whether you uh, believe this. I was watching Brook through this series, and obviously Rob Williams has missed the last couple of games. But Brook isn't necessarily... I wouldn't describe Brook Lopez as a uh, nasty player. I wouldn't describe him as a as a physical guy that's going yeah. to... As a mauler, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it, it doesn't feel like he's the guy that's you know willing to to openly do some stuff on the court, some extra physical stuff that maybe is crossing the line. And I honestly just felt that there's been times in this in this series where Brook Lopez has been getting absolutely mauled when he's trying to box out, when he's fighting for rebounds. And because he's the big guy, he's not getting any benefit of the doubt. Uh, there yeah. has been so many, and uh, trust me, Celtics fans, if they're listening to this, will just say, shut the hell up, Kane. There's been fouls all over the place. And I'll give you that. I will agree with that. But to me... When the Celtics a lot of the times are playing small, I think that there is something to the fact of just saying, well, Bobby Portis is a guy that isn't going to take shit from anyone. He is going to fight. He is going to scrap. And he's going to do stuff like collecting that offensive rebound. And yes, there might have been a little bit of luck to that. But you also have to be desperate. You also have to be in the spot. So it does feel that the way this series has trended, it hasn't necessarily suited uh, Brooke Lopez, despite the fact I still think he's been important defensively in stretches for sure. Well, I think a big part of that, too, is Robert Williams going out. That I, yeah. I think that's kind of hurt Brooke Lopez's minutes because... Offensively, he wasn't really giving the Celtics any. Right. He's, yeah. he's not a factor. He's not a guy that you, you really have to be concerned with outside of that short baseline jumper that he's hit a couple of times in this series. So that's easier for Brooke Lopez to hang around and, and basically replicate what he's doing and be a rim protector and try to get the boards. And, you know, the, the game four loss, you go back to... What went wrong in the fourth quarter? The Celtics dominated rebounds, and they were the tougher team. And you looked at the guys that were on the floor for the majority of that quarter, and you just kept coming back to, so you're getting dominated on the glass, and the Celtics are getting second-chance points. They're out physically in you, if that's a word. And there's we'll no Bobby Portis. It. Yeah, and, and there's there's no Bobby Portis. Like, at not at one point yeah. did you think, let's go Bobby Portis. So – um, yeah, and and look, it, it part of it is luck. Like we talked about at the top, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But uh, you know, Bobby talked about that rebound specifically after the game, and said it, it's it's something he works on quite a bit in uh, practice with the assistant coaches. Is not only offensive rebounding, but specifically offensive rebounding for Giannis free throws. In that they have gone over tape of when he misses. They typically miss here, so understanding. Where do I have to be? And it all kind of fell into place nicely for him. By the way, we've joked sequence. we've joked that it's a set play, uh, <laughs> and it's not necessarily a set play. And my and Budenholzer was asked about this after, and he sort of shied away from it because I think the, no one wants to be up there saying yes. We strategize for yes. when Giannis misses free throws. This, this is how we get three points at the free yeah. throw line from Giannis. Um, yeah, but I mean, that was huge for him, and I, I think probably I. I honestly don't know what to expect for for game six for the availability of Robert Williams. I thought he was going to play in game five. I, I think at this point, 
other than just having another body, the Celtics are kind of better off in this series without him because of what they're able to do with spacing. And I mean, look, you did notice immediately in game four, the difference to not having Robert Williams on the floor was, I think it was Grayson Allen that had a couple of baskets pretty early in the game attacking the rim, which he just could not do early in the series. But the Bucs have struggled to get those types of looks for guys outside of Drew and Giannis as is. So it's not like a huge gaping hole there. I I don't know what to expect with his availability. I would assume he's going to be available to play in game six. But again, I thought he'd play in game five. But it's kind of the weird thing where you almost feel like, you know, Robert Williams playing, it makes those minutes easier for Brooke Lopez. And I think that also makes the job easier, which overall, as the series has progressed, we've seen, at least I think, Bud do a better job of matching his minutes versus Celtics players. And if Robert Williams is going to play, you can match Brooke Lopez's minutes to Robert Williams' minutes. We've seen him do a much better job as the series has progressed with Wesley Matthews on the floor when Jason Tatum is. Early in the series, you'd see Wesley Matthews' minutes where Jason Tatum's not out there. Um, so I think he's done a good job there. And the Giannis and, um, and Grant Williams and, and Al Horford minutes as well. Um, so I think that's the path to a little bit of, I wouldn't even say more playing time, but just more productive playing time for uh, Brooke Lopez in this series. But I think the big takeaways you had from game five were they found something with creating – a faster paced offense running on makes. And uh, just as, as everybody's pointed out to see, you know, uh, the, the commentary on the TV broadcast of what are you guys going to be doing differently? And I think it was Pat St. Andrews of like, we've worked on something. We can't tell you what it is yet. And then you see, Oh, so they're, they're going to switch on most uh, possessions here. And honestly, against this team, I wouldn't be opposed to Brooke Lopez switching at, at times either that I, I think that was the big change is Bobby Portis can do this. We know he can switch and we're just going to switch everything up here. And we have capable defenders and I wouldn't say it caught the Celtics off guard, but you at least gave them a different look that they probably thought this has to be coming at some point this series, but still in the fourth quarter, they looked like they didn't have any answers for it on some of those possessions. It's the beauty of a playoff series, and I think we always forget this, and this is why if you just purely, and I already mentioned the odds if you go to bet online, but just from a media standpoint, from listening to other podcasts, from watching TV shows, and it's like game one, everyone's like, oh my God, the Bucks, this is the champions. They are actually going to win this series. This is incredible. Game two, uh, no, 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 no. Game, game one was just a, it was just a, you know, a, a little blip on the radar for the Celtics. They're back. The Bucs steal game three is the referee game. Game four, the Celtics, 43 points in the fourth quarter. Okay, the series is over. Now the Bucs have had the Drew game, and it's just interesting. And along the way, plenty of different adjustments from the coaches as well uh, on both sides. Uh, so we'll see. I don't I don't know what to predict from this game. Again, I don't think the Bucs... The fourth quarter, you could argue, in game five may have been that moment, but I still just don't think that the Bucs have had this you know, crazy offensive game where everyone's knocking down the threes. Everyone's, they haven't had that. Maybe at home is the time to do that. Game six would be beautiful. You'd love not to go back to Boston because again, if they do go back to Boston, the narrative is going to swing again. And can the Bucs win three games in Boston to win a series? That would be a tall, tall, tall order. So this is a game you want to wrap up. It tips at 6.30. 
as I said, we're going to be back after it. But before we wrap it up, make sure you check out the Locked On NBA podcast, the national podcast around the league. Plenty going on, uh, including Justin, uh, Philadelphia, done and dusted. Uh, there's been some interesting stuff in the post-game press conferences. I'm sure by the time everyone's listening to this, they would have seen some of the quotes. But, oh, poor old Philly. Out in the second round again. Yeah, you hate to see. And then this was the <laughs> – uh... This was the three-year anniversary of the Kawhi Leonard shot. So brutal. Um, it's what the last four years for Philly. They had lost in seven in the semifinals to the Hawks last year at home. Sad. Lost in seven to the Raptors on the road three years ago. Lost in six Sad. in the second round here. And Tough. then they lost in the first round of the bubble like to the Celtics, right? I think so. Brutal. Um, man, if if you and I, I've seen a couple of other people point this out. If you simulate the process a hundred times, like what we've seen in the last five, six years, like this is the worst possible results you could get. Philadelphia did all of this to avoid being a really good team that isn't a great team and just kind of stuck in that path of, uh, you know, like not mid-tier teams, but upper mid-tier teams in the East. And that's exactly where they are, that they're a good team, not a great team. This is probably their ceiling unless they're able to make a major type of shakeup on that roster with what they have there. Uh, never say never, but man, those are those are some big contracts. The Tobias Harris deal with two years left, uh, near $40 million. James Harden sounds like he's opting into a huge deal as well. It, it's just, it's everything that you think they were trying to avoid with the process. That's where they find themselves now, like what, six, seven years later. And of course, uh, for the other team, yeah, we'll say uh, if the Bucks advance, you get some history with the Miami Heat in the playoffs as well, just as they have with the Boston Celtics. And poor old Giannis uh, gets through this physical torture of this Celtic series. And uh, Tucker, Bam Adebayo, these guys, I wouldn't say those fellas are going to uh, be any less physical than uh, what we've seen in the Boston series. Yeah, I wouldn't say they'd be any less physical. I do feel as though Giannis has played pretty well against Bam um, recently, at, especially at in that at series. Times. Yeah, at times. Um, and, and P.J. Tucker's interesting because we talked about, oh, man, when, when P.J. arrived, they're like, I don't have to defend you anymore, and I don't have to worry about going up against you anymore. Um, so that that is going to be interesting. But, look, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but it's not – the Celtics defense where it's just one after another guys that they can throw at you. And I mean, I I've kind of said all along throughout this postseason run, it's just like last year where I think whoever wins this series, if the bucks win, you got to feel great to do it without Middleton. Whoever wins this series is going to win the East because to me, the heat are a poor man Celtics where it's kind of the same makeup and they're a defensive team and they have some, perimeter guys that can create, but I, I trust Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown offensively more than I trust Miami's guys. And there's just no weak links really on that Celtics defense. Whereas with Miami, you got guys that you can target. So I, I, I just think the Celtics are a better version than the heat and whoever comes out of this series, I would expect to go to the finals. It's a big call from our man, Justin Garcia from the Bucks Radio Network, which we appreciate. But the Bucks have got business to take care of first. We understand that, whether it's a game six, whether it's a game seven. Hopefully, there's no need for game seven. But as I said, we'll be here to wrap it all up 
after game six. Yes, I'll make an appearance on the post-game show. I know it's been a little while. I've been slacking, but I'll be back on a Saturday afternoon for me and uh, Friday night for you guys. So uh, thanks for your patience this week, everyone. We really appreciate that. But for now, for Justin, myself, leave it there. Catch you guys after game six.